The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. From Psalm 34. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we, your people here today, cry out to you as poor men and women of all ages, children, teens, adults, We are a people in need, and we cry out to you and ask you to stoop down, draw near, and to deliver. We thank you, as has been spoken of, prayed, and and sung of, that you have made a way for us to draw near, that our sin would be removed, and that we would never be ashamed. Those who look to you are radiant and their faces are never ashamed, says the psalmist. Bless your name for that. So Lord, I pray that we who are in need and we who cry out to you and draw near to you shamelessly, uncondemned, I pray that you would stoop down so that we could find you, draw near and show yourself that we would see Pour yourself out that we could taste. You are the one that we need, so please, Lord, reveal, manifest yourself. Do that by the work of your Spirit here in our midst as a a corporate entity and then within each of us individually, those who know you. Reveal yourself, manifest yourself to us that we can see and taste and know And seeing and tasting and knowing, Lord, would you make us a people changed, transformed. A people who walk in ways that please you, who answer the cry, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. People who have tasted and seen that you are good. who clearly understand that you are the one that we need, that you are the answer to all the world's afflictions, that you are worthy of all praise, of all glory and honor. And we are eager to declare that. Lord, that's what I pray for, and that's our need, because if we are honest, we are not always eager to declare that. We are not always convinced of it. So we need your work to transform and to renew and to remind to convict us of unbelief and to remind us of things that we forget and to teach us things perhaps that we don't know. So Father, I pray that you would commission your spirit to run in our midst today, right now, here, 
and open up your word and impress truth into us, perhaps new truth, perhaps old truth forgotten, perhaps even truth just rejected. Press it into us and change us by it. And draw out from us magnifying praise, exalting worship. Thank you for hearing and for answering. Meet us now, I pray, Lord. Make your word clear. Help me to express truth clearly. Help us to listen well. Work in us to transform us by renewing our minds. Do that work, I pray, Lord, for our good and for your great honor. Thank you. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to Philippians chapter 1, where at the very end of verse 18, our human author, the Apostle Paul, turns his attention from the past and present towards the future. He has been considering things that that have happened to him, things that he does do, how he's thanked God in prayer for for these Christians. He's thanked God that they are gospel partners with him. And then he, he explained how he regularly intercedes asking of God that that God would work in their lives and and would grow in them love for the body of Christ, a wise love that is is sweet to experience. And then last week in verses 12 to 18, Paul explained the effect of all the things that have been happening to him, all the stuff that happens to him and likewise to us, the effect of it all, what, what the result of it has been, and really given the sovereign providential control of God over all things, what the intention of them is. What's meant by all the stuff that happens, that the gospel would be advanced. And in Paul's life, he, he looked out and saw that the gospel advanced along two paths. One, by kind of a word of mouth, rumor mill through the prison where he was, as guards and others came to hear about prisoner such and such, who's here for Christ, that is, for the sake of the gospel for who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that guy is willing to be imprisoned and to live rejoicing in that. They they heard that. And then also, Paul's example, Paul's imprisonment, also then, secondly, inspired Christians to great boldness. And so a second way the gospel advanced was through the opportunity to actually speak the gospel as Christians boldly preached Christ throughout the city. Paul hears of that, Paul knows that, and Paul rejoices in that, which only happens because Paul, you recall, we talked about how Paul has his loves in order. This is all costing Paul quite a bit. It's costing him physical comfort, it's costing him liberty, it might cost him his life, it's costing him reputation, because some of those folks who are preaching the gospel, they are preaching the accurate truth about Christ, the true gospel, but they are preaching it with bad motives because they want to in some way do something negative to Paul. But Paul does not care because Paul has his loves in order. Paul is obviously concerned about himself, sure, beneath Christ. He wants to see Christ proclaimed and Christ exalted, and that's happening, so rejoice. Praise the Lord. Whatever it costs me. That connects us into today's passage in late verse 18 and following. 
Because we still see rejoicing still on the table in Paul's mind and, and Christ being exalted no matter what it costs him. That's, that's still kind of front and center for Paul. But now he changes as he moves from past tense to the future and he looks ahead. Considers things that are coming. And, and while we follow along with what he's writing and, and while we understand that he's got a particular context, what he talks about in its essence very much connects to what we are, where we live in our context. He's going to talk about deliverance and exalting Christ and joy in that. In a particular context, but as we'll see, I think it applies to all of our contexts. So we're going to consider that this morning in verses 18 and following. I'm going to read down through 26 while focusing only on 19 and 20. I'm going to work towards this main point. Here's my, my main objective for this morning. God enables us by His Spirit to live so that Christ is exalted. That's the point that we're working toward, particularly in verses 19 and 20. God enables us by His Spirit to live so that Christ is exalted. I'm going to read down through 26 and then make a couple of observations towards that point. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. We'll pause there and turn our attention to 19 and 20. Here's the first observation I'm going to make this morning. I'm, I'm expressing it as kept capturing the very end of verse 18 where he's still in the idea of rejoicing, so I'm going to express it with that, that emphasis. Rejoice. Christian, rejoice. He supplies us the Spirit for deliverance. That's reason to rejoice. He supplies us the Spirit for our deliverance. End of verse 18 obviously connects with where we were last week. He says, I rejoice that the gospel is going forward, and indeed I will rejoice. As he, he changes tenses and looks ahead. So we're still thinking about, over all of this, where is there joy to be found? He acknowledges, I'm rejoicing because of what's going on, and I'm going to be rejoicing in the future. So we're looking ahead and we're saying, what will make for my joy moving forward? What's going to cause that? In verse 19, for, here it is, here's the reason, 
4. And right here I acknowledge this gets tricky. Because 19 and 20 are a very complicated sentence in the original language. So all of our English translations, no matter what translation you're reading, all of them are working at trying to render Greek into readable English. Getting phrases and, and words in the right order. And it's, it's always difficult in every translation. And this is particularly complicated. So it's, you're going to have to follow along with this. That being said, if you have the NAS, you have an advantage because the NAS has done a good job with this. Be a little easier to follow, but even if you're like me, you're reading this particular translation of the ESV, you can still see the grammar there that we need to see. Verse 19. The main clause is, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And then there are two prepositional phrases that modify that. One in verse 19, and then one in verse 20. Verse 20 is going to be our second observation. So we get this main clause, and then our first observation is going to be here in 19, the first prepositional phrase. For I know, I rejoice, I will rejoice, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to be giving our attention here. This will turn out for my deliverance. What's, what's this? What's he talking about? Well, surely he would say all of life. He would include everything. But in this particular context, he's got his trial on mind. He's in prison, probably in Rome, and he is about to stand before Caesar on trial for his life. He's, he's there in prison for the gospel, and he's going to go before Caesar and explain himself and the two verdicts are freedom or execution. Those are the two verdicts before him. He's got a trial coming up, and he says, I know this trial will turn out for my deliverance. Now, we're going to come back to the deliverance, because that's what the second piece is about in verse 20. We're going to talk about that. But he's looking at deliverance, knows that it's coming, and the question that we need to answer now is, how will that deliverance come? I know this will turn out for deliverance, Paul. How? Through your prayers. Specifically, through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And what he means is very clear. Through the supply of of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit Himself is the supplied thing. The Spirit Himself is the given help. So He is not saying two things through your prayers and secondly through the Holy Spirit. No. Nor is He saying through your prayers, and then the Holy Spirit will come along and do the thing you prayed for. Rather, through your prayers, and the Holy Spirit Himself is the supplied answer to your prayers. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Himself will come, the answer to your prayer. Through that, this will turn out for deliverance. 
It's important that we understand that because there's, there's a, a, an emphasis that we need to, to get right. Now, will the Holy Spirit, when he comes to Paul, will he do something? Of course he will. Of course, of course, of course, of course. He will do something. But the emphasis is not on what he will do. The emphasis is on him. He is the supplied, not the supplier. Through your prayers and the Holy Spirit supplied to me. It's the Spirit given to Paul. God supplies the Spirit for Paul's and for our deliverance. Paul needs to be delivered, and he says how that will happen is you will pray and God will send the Spirit to me. It's interesting, particularly when we come to the second point and figure out what's the deliverance that the Spirit's going to accomplish. The Spirit is key. So how does the Spirit make for deliverance of Paul or for us when we are in trouble? Surely he can sometimes change circumstances. Surely we can read through the Gospel of Acts and see how the Spirit came and broke Peter out of jail. That's not what he's talking about. The Spirit's going to help Paul in the very same way the Spirit, Christian, can and does help deliver you out of all your troubles. So think about a couple of passages with me. What we're working on here is How does the Spirit of Christ, when He comes to me, deliver me from all my fears, deliver me from all my troubles? How does that work? Think about a couple of passages related to the Holy Spirit. You can jot a couple down here. Maybe John 14, verse 18. John 14, 15, 16 are the the three most concentrated chapters that talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pick a couple of verses out of there to capture a few things. John 14, verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Jesus says, I'm going to depart, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Then a little bit later in the chapter, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Manifest myself, or we might say reveal myself, or display myself, or show myself. So we have him in chapter 14 saying, I'm going to leave, but I will not leave you alone. I will come to you. That is, I will reveal myself to you. I will show myself to you. You will still have me, though I'm leaving. What's he talking about? The Spirit of Jesus Christ will come to his people, us, to show us Christ, to manifest him, to be with us in a personal way, not left as orphans, but with the presence of God. Moving ahead then to John chapter 16, he says there, 16 verse 14, When the Spirit comes who glorifies Christ, He will glorify me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. 
So we have the Spirit who will come, not leave us as orphans, but be Jesus present with us, manifesting Jesus to us, revealing to us, speaking to us, so that we can not just see, but hear the truth of Jesus. The Spirit of Christ, when he comes to a Christian, whether that's a Christian in prison in Rome way back, or you today, the Spirit of Jesus Christ comes to you, and what he brings to you is not a key to unlock your jail cell, is not more money to pay your bills. What he brings to you is Jesus. That's simple, perhaps. Maybe you know that, but you've got to think about that. What he brings to you, I'll say it again, is Jesus. His presence, I will come to you. His being revealed, I will manifest myself to you. His truth pressed into you, I will take, he will take what is mine and make it known to you. He comes to bring to you, Christian, he comes to bring to you Jesus. Consider perhaps also 2 Corinthians 3.18 because what does Jesus come to us mean? Think of 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the light of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We behold the glory of the Lord, and as we behold that glory, we are changed, transformed. And then Paul finishes, This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When the Spirit comes to you, Christian, He brings to you Jesus. He shows to you glory to behold. And as you see that, as you understand it, as you hear the truth expressed to you of Christ, as you behold that, you are changed You become different. The work of the Spirit in you is to present to you Christ so that you become different. That's the work of the Lord who is the Spirit. So you as a Christian, you face whatever trial, whatever challenge, whatever disturbance, whatever hardship that is front and center presented to you today, right now, here in this world, and what will make for deliverance from that. Indeed, there could be 50 things that would change all the circumstances and, and make the problem just disappear. But what will make for deliverance in that? Because you know full well, lots of times the circumstances don't change. What makes for deliverance in that is if you change. And you change, working backwards, when you behold the glory of the Son. 
And you behold the glory of the Son when the Spirit comes to you and takes what is true about Him and presses it into you and manifests Him to you and communicates His presence to you so that you are not left alone but have fellowship with God Almighty. Do you remember last week? With this Son, the one who for eternity past in fullness of glory delighted God the Father Himself that one is communicated to you by the Spirit. Is he enough to fill your heart and delight you in every circumstance? Indeed he is. I have no idea what you're facing right now, but I can tell you what you need. I have no idea what you're facing right now, but I can tell you who you need. And I can tell you how you get him. The Spirit of Jesus Christ comes to you, takes what is true about him, presses it into you, reveals him to the, the eyes of your heart that you could see him, communicates his presence to you so that you feel him, so that you know him, so that you delight in him and enjoy him. The Spirit is the one you need because Jesus is the one you need. And it says, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit. Which says, at least, in, indeed, when and how the Spirit of God manifests himself to a Christian is up to the sovereign Spirit of God. But at least we should be encouraged to ask for it your prayers, to ask for God to do that in my life and in your life, and particularly if we want to stay very closely to this text, if I see that you are facing trial, the thing I should be first, second, and third concerned to pray about is that the Spirit of God would show you Jesus that you would have glory to behold and that you would be changed in whatever's going on here, that you would be delivered. He promises this to you, Christian. This is more precious than any temporal, circumstantial change. And bless God for bringing those. He does indeed. It is not wrong to ask for them. Ask, but particularly be very clear and, and very mindful to ask we who are in need, this poor man when he cries out, must ask for God to pour out his spirit on me, for God to pour out his spirit on you because who you really need is Christ. A nearness an intimacy with him is the answer to what ails you. The good news, reason to rejoice, is that God gives his spirit. He supplies to you the spirit for your deliverance. Ask him for it. Pray 
Lord, would you show yourself to me? Would you give me eyes to behold glory? Because I know my own eyes, they do this constantly. They start up here, and it does not take long for them to be completely earthbound. To live with the seeing of only that which is physical and material and is all passing away. God is most interested, Christian, in not leaving you as orphans, but in manifesting the Son to you and pressing into you His truth, giving you His glory to behold, all by the ministry of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Spirit lives in you gloriously. But that alone, insufficiently. I say that again because there's some theology here that we need to grasp. If you are a Christian, the Spirit lives in you gloriously, but that alone insufficiently. Every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. From the time you are saved, the Spirit converts you and lives in you, never to leave you. But the Bible, the New Testament, is full of, and I'll pick out just one place, Ephesians chapter 5, commands Christians who have the Spirit in them to be filled with the Spirit. Many Christians get confused at this point. I'm right on the verge of preaching a whole different sermon. I'm not going to go there. Many Christians get confused on this point and think, Oh boy, you know what? Are we going to start talking about a lot of terminology and different charismatic things? And I'm not, I'm not going into a whole bunch of controversy there, but I want to say there is more of the Spirit to be had than just being a Christian only. You have the Spirit indeed gloriously. Paul commands Christians be filled with the Spirit. Christian, you need more influence of the Spirit on your life. You need more of His power in your life. Ask Him for it. Don't get messed up on terminology. You can simply say, God, please give me more control and influence of your Spirit. Please pour out on me more of your power. I cry out to you and I ask Rain on me. Shower on me. Give me, please, that I would see Christ. You need that, Christian, for fullness of life, for seeing of Christ, for delight, for deliverance. And in every trial, God will work deliverance as He, by His Spirit, pours out on you Sight of Christ. Ask Him for it. Don't rest where you are. Ask Him for more. The first reason to rejoice, God will supply the Spirit to you for your deliverance. Ask Him. 
second observation then. What's the deliverance? Particularly in this context. So Paul knows that he will rejoice because he knows that his present situation is going to result in deliverance through the Spirit. That's essentially the first prepositional phrase modifying it. And the second one then is in verse 20, which I'm going to express like this. Here's a sentence I'm working towards now. Rejoice in the hope of your deliverance from shame, from shame into the magnifying of Christ. Rejoice in your deliverance from shame into the magnifying of Christ. So verse 20, as I said, is that second preposition that modifies the main clause, this will result in my deliverance. And again, the NAS is helpful because verse 20 begins, according to, there's the preposition, according to my eager expectation and hope. This is, it's almost redundant. Paul's so confident. This is what I eagerly expect and hope in. My deliverance is going to match the thing that I have my heart and mind fixed on. That's what's going to happen. This deliverance is going to be according to that which I eagerly expect and, and hope in. So what is that? It would be easy to think, I'm going to get out of jail. That would be something that he would eagerly hope for. My deliverance is going to be that I'm going to get out of jail just like I want. <clears throat> I hope. And to be honest, if you keep reading the verses as we did, he does expect to get out of jail. He expects to be released. He expects that he's going to go back and see the Philippians again. So, so he, he does intend to be released. He thinks it's going to happen. That's just not what's on his mind right here. As is clear from the very end of the verse, whether by life or by death, so far in this context, he's still holding the possibility, I might be killed. The deliverance, whatever that is exactly, which we're coming to, could happen in my death or in my life. Got something else on mind other than just being let out of jail. Keep reading the verse. My eager expectation and hope that, here's what he eagerly expects and hopes, that I will not be at all ashamed. Literally, that I will not be put to shame. I will not be shamed but rather with full courage, with full boldness. Now, here in this trial before Caesar, as always in the past, before every trial, before every Roman ruler, before every Jewish synagogue leadership, before every riotous crowd in all these cities across Asia Minor, as always before, now, here in this trial too, I will with all boldness honor Christ in my body whether I live or die. He's going to stand before Caesar and in full courage boldly proclaim Christ with his lips and with his life. Who knows what Caesar will think of that? Paul knows he's going to tell Caesar, I worship one who is Lord of Lords, who is the real Savior. Savior. 
Who knows how Caesar will take that? But in all boldness, with all courage, I will be delivered from shame into the honoring of Christ with my body, with my lips, and if need be, with the laying down of my life. Paul's going to stand and magnify Christ in a way that will leave him approved and not put to shame in the eyes of God where it matters. He will need the Spirit of Christ for that. This is why that's where he started. Because that's not natural for him any more than it's natural for us. To stand before, as far as he knows, the most powerful man on earth and tell him that he's number two. It's, it's not easy. To take one's life into one's hand like that is not easy. He will need the Spirit of Christ, and he knows I will have him. He will supply the Spirit to me, and filled with the Spirit, with, with Christ then living within me in abundant, glorious life, I will see and I will know what really is going on. And I will see that my full joy, says Paul, Tracking with Paul's thought here. Follow this. It's going to apply to us in one minute. I look at this trial. I see the, the, the frightening, intimidating authority in front of me. And I recognize, filled with the Spirit, beholding glory, not on that temporal throne, but on the throne. Beholding glory, I reckon that my real joy is found in the joy, the delight, the honoring of my beloved one. The one who I see is glorious, and I will lay down my life to lift him up in joy, rejoicing through it all, pleased and happy, not cringing in fear. In all boldness, I will do that. The Spirit first will exalt Christ in the eyes of Paul, and then second will exalt Christ through the mouth of Paul. Do you see the order there? Because that's critical for us. The Spirit will not exalt Christ out of your mouth until He exalts Christ before your eyes. And then you will sing about that which you regard as truly glorious and absolutely marvelous. We only praise that which we find praiseworthy, honestly find praiseworthy. Paul looks at him filled with the Spirit and says, this has always been my hope in the past, and it is now. It is my firm expectation and, in fact, glory that I am in Psalm 34 because of Christ. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together, whether it costs us everything or comparatively little. I sought the Lord and He answered me and He revealed Himself to me and then He delivered me from all of my fears. This poor man cried out in the moment of his greatest need and trial and he, God answered and poured out His Spirit on him and magnified the Lord in my eyes and then through me, assuring me that I am never ashamed in front of Him because of what Christ has done on the cross. 
glorious truth is true of you, Christian. Oh, that you would see it. This is what you need to see the truth, Christian. If you're not a Christian, this isn't true of you. Tragically, it might be if you would trust him, it will be. But Christian, it is true of you. You will never be put to shame. They may strip you naked and nail you to a cross, sure. Never ashamed. But the the voice of the Almighty God will sing over you and then shout over you, well done, good and faithful servant. Not shamed, but honored. You saint, you. That will, that moment, that statement of approval and honor will come to you, Christian. Because you are a Christian. He looks on you clothed in Christ's righteousness and says, approved. You will never be ashamed. And so what we find here actually is that more than you at work to honor Christ, Christ is at work to honor Christ. He gives you the Spirit. He holds you fast to himself, keeps you from turning away, and so honors Jesus in your life. That is initially right there, cause to bow down and worship the sovereign work of God in your life. And, and then there's one more turn on this because there is, I think, as we think about that and walk one more turn, we step on a hollow spot on the stage and sink a little bit. Mm. Because while that is surely the work of God in me, while that is surely his, his holding fast to me, and I can be confident of that and hope in it, that I will never be ashamed, but in my life Christ will be exalted. At the very same time as I say that, I say, I was kind of hoping that, I mean, really, I was kind of hoping that it was going to be get out of jail. If I'm honest. Because I've seen, they, they use a sword and they cut off people's heads. Sometimes they don't use a sword and cut off their heads, unfortunately. Sometimes they nail them to a cross and let them hang there for a couple days until the birds eat them. I was kind of hoping that maybe I could have both. Yeah, it'd be, that'd be my ideal is if Christ would be honored in my body by life. And the little soft spot in the stage was I found that I'm not quite as resolute in my desire, as resolute in my desire as Paul is, that Christ be exalted. Me, a simple servant, I don't pick I want to pick. And I've got an idea what's best. And I discover in, in, in the soft spot, in, in that moment of hesitation, that I'm not totally on board. Are you? 
can answer that by looking at whatever trial you're facing and seeing if you're holding the trial like this or maybe like this. Here's the trial, Lord, but I mean, I've got an idea about how this should go. I'm going to protect it a little bit. I'm going to shape it a certain direction. Or like this. So what this comes down to here is a question to you. The deliverance that Paul's looking at is a deliverance from shame. I'll be honored before God, not shamed. To a life of exalting Christ with everything that I am. And, and we get taken there, but are you getting dragged or are you embracing it? Maybe another way, just to make it very simple. The last phrase of verse 20. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you want that? Do you want that? You won't want that. And if you answer it honestly, if you find that you don't want that, it's because you don't see the glory of this Son. You might be able accurately to fill it out on a questionnaire. You might circle the right choice on a, on a quiz, and you might not in agreement as I talk about it, but you don't see it. I spend a good bit of time not seeing it too. So check sermon comprehension here. What do you need then if you don't see it? The Spirit poured out on me to take the truth of Christ, that which is His, and make it known to me, to take the person of Christ and manifest Him to me, to take the presence of Christ and not leave me as an orphan, but leave me with a companion. So when you find I intellectually agree with, oh God, exalt Christ in my life, but I step on the soft spot on the stage and I find that I really say, not now, not here, not that way. Then may God graciously in that moment, and may you and may others for you cry out to him and say, pour out the Spirit right here, right now on this one to show this one the glory of the Son, God Almighty in all eternity past, the delight of the Father who took on flesh to get you and has won you to himself and left you honored, never ashamed, and will carry you forward in the glory back into the fellowship with the God who is all good. What have you on earth that you desire besides him? Nothing. So may God in your life and in your body honor, exalt, magnify this glorious Son. And may He do that 
as that comes out of your life and out of your mouth, we recognize that first what he must do is to exalt him in your head and in your heart to give you eyes to see. May God Almighty pour out his spirit on us, on you. And then together, we can say, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, the woman, who seeks refuge in him. Let me pray. Father, in many ways, we have to acknowledge that we fall far short of where you took Paul to, of the heights you empowered him to walk on, of the the closeness to you you enabled him to experience. We are short of that. And yet we also acknowledge that he's a man just like we are, a human like we are. That he was supplied the Spirit just like we are and like we can be. And so he does not know and did not know a different existence than we may. So we come to you, Father, boldly now and ask you for more of that. What you gave him, give to us, please. You are God. Your timing is your timing. And your timing is right. Your ways are your ways, and they are right. But we ask you, would you give to us more of what you gave to Paul? Pour out your Spirit on us and move us to follow your decrees. Show us Christ in all of his goodness and glory. Would you meet with your people now, Lord, as we continue to pray? We reflect now, would you meet with individuals here, minister to them, encourage them, deliver them, change them. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.